I've been preaching for 21 years. That's a long time. Half my life, I'm 42 years old. And I tried to add up today how many sermons I think that is. And you think, oh, you know, it's more than six sermons, Tom Hunt. Let me refresh. I didn't say how many sermons do I have. I said how many times I've preached. Now, here's the deal. The first six years I was in ministry, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but I pastored an independent, fundamental, King James only, meaning you could only preach from the King James Bible, Baptist church. We had church on Sunday morning. We had church on Sunday night. We had church on Wednesday night. And before church on Sunday morning, I had to teach Sunday school, so I taught four times a week for five years. So I figured it up today that right around 2,500 times I've preached. And you're like, man, you seem like you'd be a lot better. <laughs> well, they say to master something, you have to do it 10,000 times. So I got a ways to go, so you're going to have to deal with me for a while. But of those 2,500 times, today is only the third time ever that hours before it was time for me to teach, man, just clear as day, I felt like I was supposed to just completely scrap my message and go in a different direction. I was on vacation this week. All week long, so I had written this sermon a couple of weeks ago. Phil and I planned the series out a couple of, basically about a month in advance. And so I knew the topic, and so I doubled up that week and put the sermon together. And I just kind of forgot what the subject was, to be honest with you. And so I get home, and I tell Chris, I said, i got to go down to the office. And I said, i got to look over my notes. And I'm looking over the notes, and I just, I was like, I don't want to teach on this. It's just boring to me. It's a cool subject, but it just wasn't what I wanted to teach on. And man, I was struggling with it. I was like, well, it's already written. You know, and I got priorities. Football's coming up on Saturday. And I had a thing I wanted to go to yesterday. And my wife's going to be out of town the next two weekends. So I wanted to go on a date with her. So priorities, I was like, I'm preaching that message. And they're going to be bored. And I've already heard how good Grady was last week. And oh, he was so great. And blah. I know Grady's ego is fragile, right? So I was like, hey, I'm going to come up there and I'm going to stink it up. And for two weeks, Grady can be the hero. Then next week, I'll come back out and hit a home run and shatter his ego again. That's just what I'll do. So I was going to go with the message. Matter of fact, we went out last night to hear some music, and lo and behold, there's Grady. And I said, man, I'm teaching this message tomorrow. And I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I want to be like, it's going to suck because I want to make you feel better. You know, I didn't say that to him. But I was like, man, I am not excited about my message tomorrow. I said, it's just kind of a deep subject. And I said, it's a deep subject. It's kind of hard for me to teach on with just a couple of days. I, I, I really didn't think that through in the planning. But then I was going to preach the message. And I laid my head down last night. And clear as day, I had this story pop in my mind from the Bible. And this subject pop in my mind on the Bible. And I knew I had to get up this morning and go and try to put some thoughts down. So disclaimer today. This sermon might not make sense because I wrote it in about 30 minutes in my office this morning and when I wrote it in 30 minutes, it sounded really good. But as I was looking over my notes backstage just now, I was like, oh, I don't even think that makes sense. So we're going to get through it and if we screw it up, we get to do it again in seven days. Sound fair? All right, awesome. All you tech fans know about screwing up, so hey, it's cool. You know what I mean? 
premise of this series is real, real simple. If you could sit down with Jesus, whether it's over a beer, over a cup of coffee, over a slice of cheesecake, or all three, what's the one question you'd ask him? And we've been looking at the whole month. The first week of the series, we looked at the subject, God, can you really forgive me? For all the mess-ups, all the screw-ups, all the hurts, all the things I've done wrong, can you truly forgive me? The second week of the series, we looked at why the bad things happen to good people. Last week, I heard Grady knocked it out of the park. I saw some of you post the slides, and just the slides resonated with me, and I, I can't wait this week to take time and go listen to that, and if you missed any of those messages, you can go to actionchurch.tv, and you can listen to those. You can go to the Apple Store and download the messages every week. I don't know how Android works, but you should be able to go to the, to the store there and download those. I've heard the app's not working right now, but you can still go to your music player, your podcast player, and listen to those. And today I was going to answer the question, Jesus, what happens when we die? I think it's a question we've all asked. We know what the Bible says, but do we really know what the Bible says? And some people live their whole life in fear, and some people have moments where, man, if I take my last breath, what happens? And I was going to talk to you about that today. But instead, I want to talk to you about a subject. When Phil and them came up and did that song today, I I knew it was perfect, because I want to talk to you about the number one thing that I see in the church that the church is the most fake about. I know you find that surprising that a bunch of people who call themselves Christ followers and show up at church every Sunday could be fake, but the fact of the matter is the church can be the fakest place in the world. Now, sometimes the problem is we have unrealistic unrealistic expectations on those who attend church. They're still human. But sometimes people are just fake. And I don't know if there's any area that we're more fake in than in the area of love. Every church everywhere will get up and they will preach love and they will preach acceptance and they'll talk about loving this person and loving that person. But what they really mean is, we love you if. If you look like we think you ought to look and you act like we think you ought to act and you talk like we think you ought to talk and you believe like we believe and if you love the same people we love, We love you, but if you don't, we're going to say we love you, but we're going to try to change you to be like us. I've got a buddy of mine, and I love this guy, and I've got real close with him here recently, and he lives here in the community, and he attends a church, and he says, man, our church is kind of like Action Church. I'm like, man, that's awesome. He's like, yeah. He goes, we always say this, come as you are. I said, man, that's good. We say that too. He said, but we say, come as you are, but leave different. And I said, oh, then we're probably not alike. Well, what do you mean? I said, we just say, come as you are. Well, but, but God ought to change them. I said, man, I believe in God's working in people's life. People change. I said, but I, I think what you mean is, come as you are, but don't leave like you are. Start to be more like us. Believe like we believe and act like we believe and love who we say you ought to love and and, uh, dress like we say you ought to dress. And it's just a weird thing to me. It says, hey, we accept you, 
But you need to know we're going to try to change you. Let me make this very clear to you today. It's not my job to change you. I don't have time to fool with changing you. I don't have the desire to change you. I don't have the passion to change you. I don't have the zeal to change you. Here's the deal. The way you go through in life is between you and God. And if God begins to work in your life and God begins to move in your life, and I believe when God's moving in your life, there's certain areas you'll change. I hope today that I'm a lot different person. I'm changed from a different person I was even a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago. And God knows I'm a different person than I was 20 years ago. And the Holy Spirit of God works in our life and begins to change us, but it's not our job to change people. Our job is to love people right where they are. So if I was sitting down with Jesus, we were having an ice cold beer and eating some of that cheesecake I was talking about a minute ago. I think the question I'd ask him is how do we truly love people? Jesus, I, I got to be honest with you. I get we're supposed to love. I get it's the buzzword and it looks good on a t-shirt. I've got a buddy of mine who has a, a mission to Africa, and he gave me a shirt that says L-O-V-E, and the O's at the continent of Africa, and it's cool. And Man, the word love makes some cool t-shirts. And I love to wear that shirt because I'm an attention whore. And every time I wear it, people are like, oh, that's an awesome shirt. Where'd you get it? And I get to share the story with my buddy's organization. And, and it's cool. But sometimes I think we just use the word love because it's a buzzword. And at the end of the day, we really have no clue how to love. It sounds simple. It sounds cool. It sounds great. But what we like to think is we really, and I've said this already in this sermon, it's really easy to love those that we like. It's really easy to love those who are like us. You know what I did for years in my life? It was real easy for me to love those that were beneficial to me. My buzzword is, I love those that are loyal. I love those that make me like my wife will tell you straight up. She pulls no punches when it comes to me. She'll tell you I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world. She'll tell you that I, that I love certain people in spite of their actions because I like them and love them. And other people that do the exact same things because I don't like them, I don't show them love. Guilty as charged. Love sounds great. It sounds simple. It, it almost seems like love would be something that would just be natural. Until someone does us wrong. Until someone doesn't believe like we believe. Until someone makes a decision that God forbid we don't agree with. Someone betrays us. Someone's not loyal to us. Someone leaves us. Someone screws us over. Someone does us wrong in a business dealing. Some people you just don't like. 
They've never done anything to you. I, I've said this before, it always offends people, and everybody's like, are you talking about me? Well, I'm, I'm not talk- well if, I'm talking, if you think I'm talking about you, I might be. But like, there's just some people here that have never done anything to me, and they're just not my favorite people for whatever reason. And I'm sure I'm that way to a lot of people. When those type of people come in your life, it just seems like love is a whole lot more work. It seems like love is a whole lot harder. (laughs) I've been famous for saying for years, I I just don't like people. I've always said, man, pastor and be the greatest job. It's kind of a joke. It turned into a joke. Pastor and be the greatest job in the world if I didn't have to preach or deal with people. And then a few years ago, my two oldest teenage kids started saying, I hate people. We'd have fun company. Why are they coming over? Because well, they're coming to eat. Like, I just don't like people. And, and there's nothing more humbling than to see your flaws in your kids. And it's taken a while, and God's beginning to shift in me. And, and I, I'm still guilty out of habit of saying it from time to time, but I've tried to be very conscious of it and realize that there's some people that I don't like their actions, but I love people. Because God tells us to love people. It, it, it's easy to love those that we love. It's hard to love those that are asses. It's hard to love someone who just genuinely isn't a good person. It's hard to love someone when you see them keep making the same mistakes over and over and over. It's hard to love someone again who's hurt you. It's hard to love someone like who's a Tennessee fan. <laughs> or a Florida fan. Or an Auburn fan. But our clips, it's basically hard to love any team that wears orange because nothing sucks like an orange. That's free today. (laughs) It's hard to love everybody. Yet as I read this book over and over, and can I be honest with you? I don't think I hear preachers get it all the time. Like I love this book and it's precious and I love, and I get it. It's a it's a precious book and it's alive. There's a lot of times I don't love this book. This book convicts me. Here's what I've decided when everybody says, I love this book. The ones who love this book unconditionally are the ones who treat it like a buffet. Like, you know, when I, like, I was on a cruise this week. It's like Golden Corral on water. And so basically what my life consisted of for four straight days was steak, macaroni and cheese, chocolate chip cookies, pizza, and tacos. She had asparagus and broccoli and coffee. Oh, it's so good. No, it's not. (laughs) Calories don't count at the ocean, so I didn't eat it. I picked and choose what I liked and ate what I wanted to eat. Had I went through and had to eat everything on the buffet, I wouldn't have liked it as much. 
When you digest all of this book, there's some things in here you're just not going to like. The Bible says it's, it says his word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Sometimes it cuts. And there's times when the Bible talks about the word love and how I'm supposed to love everybody. I just don't like it. I want to love who I want to love when I want to love them on my terms. <laughs> but it's not what the book says. Here's the deal. I didn't want to preach this today. I was going to preach to you on what happens when you die. <laughs> this wasn't even on my radar. And the funny thing is, I didn't come in contact with anybody I didn't like that reminded me, hey, I need to love their stupid selves. <laughs> I just laid my head down after a great weekend with my wife and was like, crap, why is this story in my head? And the reality is this. If you don't love, you don't live. The fuel for life is love. And love is one of those things that though we shout it and we scream it and we preach it and we wear it on our t-shirts and we put the little memes up about, oh, love, we don't live it out. Go get on Facebook for two minutes and just see how divisive people are, how hateful people are, how horrible people are. Like something as simple as, you know, we went on a cruise. I posted, and then we didn't have the internet for four days, so I went four days without a phone. Somebody say, hallelujah, it's a miracle. You don't believe God performs miracles anymore? <laughs> Babe, did I complain one time about not having my phone? Did I itch one time? Did I quake? That's a miracle. That's on par. Well, water into wine. Okay? Like, I, I, did, I ain't going to lie to you. I didn't want Christine to say, but I was jonesing. You know? But I got over it, and then I found out you can download the Carnival app, and it works, and nothing else works. So I justified that. I was like, I got to know what's going on in this boat. And it was like, every time I started Jones, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to click on that app. Oh, oh, oh good. They, ain't they haven't changed the comedy show at 930. I've checked it seven times a day. Good. Whew. <laughs> like, man, I don't even remember what the moral of that story was. Oh, but get on Facebook, man. Oh, something. So Sunday I posted, heading out on a cruise with the family. I get back up whenever my phone came back up. And the first comment, oh, you went on a carnival cruise, have fun, it's going to suck. I was like, everything is just negativity. Everything. There's a lot of things going on in our world, but love is not one of those things. Man, check out the church. The place that ought to epitomize love, we're more known for what we're against than what we're for. Everybody in Canton knows that every church in this community is against people walking around downtown with an open beer. We stand outside City Hall and we pray and we do this, but nobody knows, man, do those churches feed the poor? Do they clothe those that need clothing? Do they house those that need? Are they creating environments for addicts? Boy, everybody knows what they're against, but nobody knows what they're for. What ought to be the most positive place on earth, the local church, what ought to be the most accepting place on earth, the local church, we're simply known for what we hate instead of what we love. Something is wrong. 
And if I was sitting down with Jesus, I'd say, hey, man, how do we truly love people? It sounds good. It sounds cool. I'm down with it. And I want to love people. And I want to love everyone. But even I'm guilty of it, JC. Hey, I love these people, but I don't love these people. How do we truly love? (laughs) There's a great story in Luke 10. And Jesus is doing his thing. And every time Jesus is doing his thing, you can always count on there being critics. But here's the funny thing about Jesus and his thing. The critics never come from the heathens. They never come from the secular people. They never come from the sinners. They never come from the outcast. It's always 100% of the time the religious who stand up and question Jesus. Those who ought to have been supporting him. Those who have been waiting for the Messiah to come. And now they're criticizing and bashing everything he does. And the Bible says on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up. Don't you love experts in the law? And he stood up to test Jesus. I just want to test you on some things. I had someone call a few months ago. They were looking for a church. Hey, I'm asking about the church. And I'm telling them, hey, I want to run some things by you and just test you and see where you stand. I said, we're probably not the church for you. <laughs> what? Well, don't you want to stand on the whole? I said, I said, I do want to stand on the whole. I said, but listen, come check us out. I said, I don't think you're going to dig it, but man, you're welcome. But I'm not going to sit on the phone and be tested based on your beliefs. And then I, he got really mad. I said, matter of fact, not even your beliefs on your preferences. I said, I can already tell you're going to be real uncomfortable here. And you're not going to be uncomfortable because we're not going to love on you. You're just going to be uncomfortable because, man, you've got preconceived notions on what church ought to be, and we're probably not the church where you came the next week to church. He sent me an email and simply said, you're right, not the church for me. I said, God bless, move on. The religious always stood up wanting to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I love Jesus. Because he always answered their question with a question. You tell me. He said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? I love Jesus, man, because he's about to throw down the smack on them. And the guy said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. All the things, every bit of us. God doesn't want 75% of us. He doesn't want 80%. Love God with everything you are. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, man, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll have life. Do this and you'll, you'll understand what life is all about. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. We've been about loving God and loving people since the day we started this church. Do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll experience freedom. Now, the guy decides to get cocky. I don't get getting cocky with Jesus. But this guy gets cocky. I love my neighbor. No problem. I love the people I know. My neighbor, you, you, you mean my family? I love those people. My neighbor, oh, you mean my friends? 
I love those people. My neighbor. People like me. Got it. Love God with everything that I am, I do it. Oh, and love my neighbor as myself. I get it. That's easy. I get it completely. But Jesus is about to throw some truth on him, and he's not going to know what to do with it. And I think Jesus needs to throw some truth on Action Church today. We think we get what love is. But I don't know that we do. We get that we're supposed to love and it sounds cool, but do we really understand what love is? See, when it comes to Jesus, he takes principles that people find accepting, that people are like, hey, that's cool, I can do that, and he takes it a whole nother level. Jesus says, neighbor, your friends, neighbor, your family, neighbor, the people you like. Let me tell you a story. Anybody got an old granddad like I used to? I used to have an old granddad, man. We called him Moose. And Moose was a big old man, and Moose loved us, and Moose was hard. But Moose would sit on the front porch, and he could tell a story that was captivating. I can remember sitting for hours and listening to my grandfather tell stories. And Jesus knew there was power in stories, so he says, let me give you a story. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Man's on a journey, he gets beat up, he gets robbed, he's laying on the side of the road near death. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, what man? The man who's been beat up, the man who's an outcast, the man who's over there almost near death. He passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, this was like a priest, when he came to the place, what place? The place where the man's beaten, broken, busted, and disgusted in the gutter. Saw him, and he passed by on the other side. One of the most famous stories in all the Bible, everyone knows it's the story of the Good Samaritan. So let me sum it up for you. A dude's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You need to understand something. i got to be real quick today. This is a tough patch of road. It's a curvy road. It was known for high crime because the criminals could hide in the curves. You, you were in between two cities. It was a what place they could do stuff to you, rob you, rape you, uh, take your thing, beat you, and no one could catch them, maybe even for days. It was a great place to be a criminal. It, it was known for high crime, and while this guy's traveling, he gets robbed, he's beaten, and he's left for dead. He's laying there. I imagine he's thinking, I'm about to die. No one's going to come along this road. It's getting dark now. Now nobody's coming along this road. And two people come along this road. And both of them are religious leaders. <laughs> the two dudes you would think you want passing you by while you're broke, busted, and disgusted in the gutter. The two people you would think when you're at the end of your rope and you're clinging to nothing, you got to think to yourself, this is my lucky day. Here's a priest. If anybody's going to help me, it's going to be the priest. If anybody's going to help me, it's going to be the Levite. But they look at him, they move to the other side of the road, and they mosey on down the road, leaving him there. The two people who should have understood love. Passed him by. 
Can I tell you something? I got like I told you, I don't have a lot of notes. We're going to rampage and we're going to rabbit trail. Some things never change. <laughs> As I look over the landscape of the church, Big C Church, today, it seems to me like the church could give two craps about the needs in their community. Now, let me make this very clear. So when you broadcast and podcast and tell your friends that go to other churches what I said about their church, I'm not in the inner workings of their church, so I don't know what goes on in those churches. I'm not saying those churches are wrong. I'm not saying their hearts are in the wrong place. I'm not saying they're not doing good things. But here's what I am saying. I've been around the block a little bit in the church world. And it appears to me that the church today is more interested in their traditions than they are those in need. And then we got a whole nother group of churches that say, man, F tradition. But we're more interested in being cool than we are reaching those in need. They care more about the building than they do reaching those in need. They care more about the offering than they do those in need. We have a phrase in ministry, it's called nickels and noses. How many people showed up on Sunday, and what was the offering? And as long as the nickels and the noses is on the uproar, or the nickels and the noses are staying like it's always been, because that makes us comfortable, and we can pay the light bill, and we can have our four and no more, we're happy. And what they do is they look out into a community that's hurting and struggling and going through hard times, and marriages are falling apart, and addicts are struggling, and people are feeling shunned by the church but based on who they love. And they look out, and they essentially flip the community the bird and they say, we're insiders to hell with the outsiders. You say, I don't know a church that would say that anywhere. Sometimes you ain't got to say it. Your actions say it. And the church is walking down the road. <laughs> they're going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And they're seeing hurting people. And they're passing by on the other side. And something's wrong with that. A place that's supposed to be about love. A place that's supposed to be about love. A place that's supposed to be about love. A place that's supposed to be about love has turned a blind eye to the true needs in our society and doesn't care anymore. Everybody's on this big government, small government crap, and the government ought to not be involved in this and that. And you know what? You're right. If the church was doing what the church ought to do, the church, government wouldn't have to do what the government has to do. It's not the government's job to feed people. It's the church's job. It's not the government's job to clothe people. It's the church's job. It's not the government's job to educate people. It should be the church's job. But the church isn't doing what it's supposed to do. It's not interested in love. It's interested in the way things have always been or what makes us comfortable. And our cities around us are dying and going to hell while the church don't care. It's sickening. All these years ago, Jesus tells this story, and it's being lived out every single day. If we're going to be the church that God created us to be, it's going to take a group of people who decide to love unconditionally. The priest passes them by, the Levite passes them by, but the Bible says, but a Samaritan. I want you to remember that phrase, because we're going to get back to it in a minute. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus said, which of these three robbers do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the experts? And the experts of the law said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus said, love your neighbor. But here's the deal, your neighbor's not who you think your neighbor is. Your neighbor in this context is people. I am so sick and tired of the labels we put on people. Rich, poor, black, white, straight, gay, whatever. They're people. They're people. About two months ago, I had someone call me and they said, What's your stance on homosexuality? And I said, we love people. I, 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 I get that, but what about homosexual? I said, I, I don't, are they people? Well, what do you mean? I, I, I said, I, I'm just asking you a question. Are they people? Yeah. I, I said, oh, we love them. And then I got a little irritated. Sometimes I get irritated. I said, hey, you know what our stance is on black people? And I could tell he got intrigued. Well, what? I said, we love them, they're people. <laughs> oh, I, I, I can tell you're getting a tone with me. I said, I'm not getting a tone with you. I said, well, we just love people. So then he said something, which I've heard the phrase before, but I don't, I stay out of it. He said, so are you a gay-affirming church? I said, oh, we love people. He said, so what does that mean exactly? And I couldn't figure out, was the guy gay and trying to figure out, was he welcoming or he was anti-gay and wanted to know. I, I couldn't figure it out. And I, I didn't really care. And I said, we love people. He said, would you let them join your church? I said, well, we don't really have church membership here because we're too disorganized. <laughs> I said, that just sounds like more work I got to keep up with. He said, well, are they allowed to serve? I said, are they people? Why do you keep saying that? He was getting mad. I'm like, I'm, I'm just confused. I'm confused. We just love people. We're to love people. People always want to, what do you stand on immigration? I love people. If they're in this community, I, I, I love people. If immigrants end up in our City, I, I love them. And if refugees end up here, I, I love them. And that can upset some. My job is just to love people. You think they ought to clean up this area? I, I have a lot of thoughts on this area. But today, I just love the people that are in this area. And if this area changes, I'm going to love the people in this area. And it's just simple. They're people. You know what I mean? We love people. We've got to classify. It's funny. I, I never say, you know, my white friend. My white friend's coming over today. But, you know, you know, Bubba, he's my black friend. Like, we just love to put labels on people. You know what I mean? It's weird. I don't get it. The Samaritan understood what it means 
to love people completely. To love people unconditionally. And you need to understand something. In this day and time, and I'm going to break this down for you here in a minute, this was scandalous. This was unheard of. Because this society was all about labels and all about standing and all about skin color and all about all the things that, that categorized people into groups. And Jesus just comes along and says, man, we just love people. It's not about social standing. It's not about skin color. It's not about religious beliefs. It's not about lifestyle choices. We don't love because of what we get back. We don't love because they love us. We love no strings attached. Can I confess something to you? And and I, I, I want to apologize to you for this. Because... Ultimately, and I didn't have this in my sermon, I didn't have the whole sermon, so I didn't really didn't have this in my sermon. <laughs> Ultimately, at the end of the day, as your pastor for seven years, probably for the first time ever, and this just occurred to me, wow, I'm a hypocrite. For the first time ever, I doubted you. My buddy, who runs the mission organization that I was telling you about earlier, hit me up two weeks ago and said, hey, man, I've got some open dates in December, and I'd love to come share our work at your church. I text with him all the time, and I never responded back for two weeks. I haven't responded back. That's not like me. You know why I didn't respond back? God, I'm ashamed of this. Because I thought, man, if I bring someone up here who talks about whales in Africa, someone's like, we got whales in Canton that need to be done. Why are we worried about another country when we're only worried about Canton? We've been worrying about Canton for seven years, and we're going to continue to worry about Canton. Like, I just pissed myself. I'm going to invite him for December. But I'm sorry. I didn't have enough confidence in you guys to accept him. How wrong is that? Forgive me. He'll be here in December. Because we're to love. Whether they're in this country, out of this country, we're we're just to love. A lot of you, if you make it to heaven, are going to be shocked. There's going to be Africans there. There's going to be all kinds, there's going to be all kinds, there's going to be Middle Easterns there. You're going to be shocked. I tell this all the time, it's my favorite thing. A lot of people are going to be shocked because I'm going to be there. <laughs> I'm in a-hole mode and you're going to lecture me later. <laughs> this is what's wrong when I, ain't, when I ain't got a plan. Grady, you'll amen this. I'm going to change my prayer life every day and ask God, God, when I get to heaven, and you're going to be with me because you're my bride, so you're going to have to deal with it. God, put my mansion right next to the pastor from Revolution. Because when I go get my heavenly mail every week, Xander, you make sure that stays on the podcast. I want to walk out and be like, you didn't think I'd be here, did you? But I am. God, I love this place. I got to get back to this room. We got to love completely. So my question for Jesus, <laughs> I made it. <laughs> hey, you remember all them sermons you preached against me? <laughs> He's probably right, but here I am. 
Now, I guess you're an executive here, and I'm only the janitor. But, man, I dig it. And I'll make sure your floors are real clean. I'm pushing that mop. <laughs> oh, I'm going to pray. Oh, man, I'm really... I hope the pastor has been making my life hell at sea because he's on the other side of my mansion. I ain't going to say his name because he's old and he'll have a heart attack if, if I name it and y'all start attacking him. Golly, heaven's going to be so much fun. <laughs> Jesus, how do we truly love? It lays it out in this story. The first thing that happened here is he allowed himself to truly see the man. <laughs> this is huge. The priest saw somebody over there crossed over the other side the levite saw somebody over there and crossed over the other side but the samaritan came along and he saw him he walked over to him and he saw his condition and he saw his hurt and he saw his bruises and he saw his pain and he saw a person in need don't miss this is good preaching if a white boy is doing it check it out check it out check it out the priest and the levite they saw a problem. The Samaritan saw a person. Yeah. Holy smokes. The first two men were distracted, preoccupied, too agenda-driven to be bothered by this man in need. But the Samaritan, as he's walking down the road, he saw a man near the end of his rope, and he said, I don't know what I can do for him, but I'm going to do whatever I can do to help this man. He didn't worry about where he needed to be. He wasn't worried about his agenda. He wasn't worried about it getting nighttime on a dangerous road. He said, I can't pass this man by because I've truly seen this man now. Life is simpler to not see. It simply is simpler not to see. When you start seeing people as people, it's a hassle. It's dirty. There's risk involved, and guess what? Sometimes those people that you help, not sometimes, a lot of times the people you help will end up hurting you. To stab someone in the back, you've got to be close. Mm, that's a whole nother sermon. Man. But you can't love until you see people. As people, you got to see all people. It's funny to me. It's always been weird to me. For whatever reason, this little church in the ghetto, over the five years, you've been here since the beginning, at different times in the history of our church, we've had some odd people, semi-famous people, in the doors of our church. You know, professional wrestlers in our building, um, pretty big rock star people in our church, um, comedians in our church, some pretty famous people for a ghetto church in an old grocery store. I, I, it's just weird. It's always happened that way. And for whatever reason, though, every time they come in our building, I get it because I'm guilty of it too. We love to snap the pictures and face, look who's in our building and look who's in our... Look at and we, uh, and like, like one time, when we, we, there's a gentleman named Chris Jericho, some of you know him, and he's probably the biggest guy we've had in our building. Like, he was in our building one time, and like people were out lined up out the window out there, like looking through the window to like see Chris Jericho, and like we're all tweeting. And I'm every time he comes to the building, I'm like, who's in our building? And I try to be discreet because I don't want to mark out, and be a fan. I'm like, you know, trying to take the picture behind my back, and, and that's cool. I get it. But here's the deal: 
what if we flipped our mind and we felt the same way every time an addict came through these doors? And every time someone in need came through these doors. And what if we flipped the switch every time that someone came through this door and they were going through marital problems or they were going through love problems or they're going through financial problems. When people who are coming through these doors have hurts, habits, and hangups, what if we stopped and know they're not famous and though nobody might know who they are, we looked and said at the end of the day they are people and we are here for people. I think it might be a game changer. Man, at my last church, it was a larger church, and so you know, on the average service, we'd have 800 people. And so I did this thing one time where I walked out and I lied. And um, I know, imagine that. And I told this story. I said, man, I went out to eat last night. And I said, you'll never guess who was in the restaurant last night when I was there. And um, we had just done the song Live Like You Were Dying the week before by Tim McGraw. I said, man, Tim McGraw and Faith Hill were in the restaurant. And they were in town for tours, so it worked out perfect. And I said, man, I walked over to them. I said, man, hey, guys, my name is Gary Lamb, and I'm not trying to interrupt you. I said, but we did your song last week in church. And I told him, I said, man, Tim McGraw flipped. He said, you did my song in church? I said, we did your song in church. He said, I got to come check out this church. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, I need you to get on your feet. And I need you to welcome Tim McGraw and Faith hill to the stage and people lost their minds they jumped up and there's like kids ah, and they're screaming and they're going crazy and i was like i'm just kidding and i said but what if you got that excited about coming to worship jesus every week like you did tim mcgraw walking out on stage it was tense up in there that sunday but what if we got as excited about everyone who came in and you know how we would do that if we just see people. <laughs> but let's be honest, we don't see those people. We get immune to those people. We're too busy in our own world. We're too busy doing our own things. We're too busy handling our own problems that we don't really see other people. But here's the deal, and I say this all the time, everybody is somebody, somebody. That little girl in the checkout line who might not be ringing stuff up as fast as you can ring it up, she's got something she's going through, and maybe there's a reason she's struggling. I tell you, I was in a Waffle House one night, and this guy was irritating me, and he was working there, and he wasn't doing stuff, and I got irritated, and I, I made some comments. And as we go to leave, we found out he had some mental issues and he was autistic. And Christine lit me up. And she was right. But you know the thing? When she told me, I said, no, he's not. She said, Carrie, yes, he is. Go talk to him for a minute. I never took time to even listen to him. I never took time to watch his actions. I never took time to see how he carried himself. I just looked at he was inconveniencing me. It took me two extra minutes to get my waffle. We don't see people as people. To this day, I haven't went back to that waffle house. I was so embarrassed. That was like three years ago. Probably didn't work there anymore. The Samaritan interrupted his schedule. He emptied his money bag to help this man. <laughs> because he's on this road, and he's an outsider. You know what? He took a risk of people walking up and saying, You robbing this guy? Did, did you do this to this guy? But he didn't care. He saw someone in need and someone hurting. He'd seen this man's condition, and leaving that man behind wasn't an option. 
How many of you have ever heard me talk about fireman accountability around here? Fireman accountability. In the past, you've heard me raise your hand. Okay, very few of you. So let me tell you what fireman accountability is. I didn't know this. So the church says, man, I'm accountable to you. So let me tell you how accountable. Okay, I am going to say it because he put it on Facebook. Where's James at? James in here is the outside smoking when he should be in service. Stand up. You put it on Facebook, stand up. James had a bad week. You can sit down. Me and James have been accountable to each other. Here's what accountability looks like. James, you're accountable to me. You're struggling? Come on over to the house. Drop everything you're doing and come over to the house. Called my wife. James is coming over. Don't come home yet. I want to hang out with him for a little while. Guess what? James didn't show up. Because he's accountable. When you're accountable to someone, it doesn't work. Firemen are accountable for someone. So Kylie and I, you used to be a fireman, so tell me if I'm wrong. We go into a fire together. We're accountable to each other. So if I go for each other, when I go there and I screw up and I mess up, that's not the time for you to lecture me, right? You're going to do whatever it takes. You're not leaving that building unless you bring me out with you because you're accountable for me. I preach that, and I realize I'm not accountable for him because I should have went and jerked his ass up. I should have drove to his house. I've dealt with a lot of guilt over that. Because here's the deal. We live accountable to somebody and instead accountable for someone. What would happen if we started seeing people as people and we said, you know what, man? You're an idiot. I told him when he walked in, I said, you're an idiot. I said, but I love you. And it doesn't define you. He said, what if he does it again? I'm accountable for someone. We drag them along with us. When you see people as people, you can't help but hurt when they hurt. And you can't help but be sad when they say, And you can't help but be broken when they're broken. Because people are people and God knows they were there for us when we were broken and we were busted and we were disgusted. You got to see people as people. Not only that, but he accepted the man as he was. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. You can't gloss over this because you'll miss this if you don't understand the history here. The guy laying on the side of the road was a Jew. This guy was a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. You think the Republicans and the Democrats hate each other? It ain't got nothing on the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jew, and they were half-Samaritan. When Israel was in captivity, the men and the women who married their captors and had children in that country, the country they were captive in, those were Samaritans. And the true Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews believed that if you had anything to do with a Samaritan, matter of fact, let's just say that they believed that... um, Having a relationship with a Samaritan was the equivalent of eating the, uh, the flesh of a pig. The Jews hate, they didn't do that, okay? They actually had prayers. The Jews would actually pray prayers that said this, God, do not forgive the sins of the Samaritans. That's some hate. They hated each other. Yet the Jews laying on the side of the road and the priest passes them by and the Levite passes them by and here comes the old half-breed. The one that this Jews probably prayed against. <laughs> and he didn't look down and see a Jew. He looked down and saw a person. 
and he accepted them right where they were. It didn't stop him from loving this person. He saw someone who needed love, someone who needed help, someone who needed compassion. And if you truly want to love people, you can't allow your love to be conditional. We're so guilty of that. The Bible says in Romans 15, accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God, we love to put conditions on our love. I'll love you when you act the way I think you ought to act and you look the way I think you ought to look and you do what I think you ought to look. But listen, accepting is when you stop trying to change someone and you cherish them just the way they are. <laughs> one of my goals at Action Church, I said this from day one, is that we be the most diverse church around. I, I, I want to see a day where every label that we throw on people are worshiping next to God. I've always loved about this church that I always thought it was just awesome that you had people that were making six figures a year worshiping next to people who were living in the woods. I, I, I want it to be where white worships by black and single or a straight worships against. What, 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 I, I hate the whatever label. I just want it to be a hodgepodge of people worshiping the living God because we accept people just like they are. Now, hear me out. You know, hold on. Does that mean we have to approve of every decision everyone makes? No. I don't have to approve to love. I don't approve of everything my kids do. Lord knows. But I love them. You can accept people and still think some of their choices are not good. There's a lot of you made some stupid choices over the years. And I still love you, but I didn't agree with your choices. Oh, by the way, you've done the same for me. Gary Lamb, king of stupid choices. Billy Graham said it's God's job to judge, the Holy Spirit's job to convict, and it's simply my job to love. You know when he said that quote? When Bill Clinton was going through all his mess. Well, where, where do you stand with Bill Clinton? <laughs> he said, man, it's God's job to judge Bill Clinton. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict Bill Clinton. He said, it's just my job to love Bill Clinton. Thank God that he loved me when I was unlovable. Thank God, yes. Thank God for people who loved me when I was unlovable. I have screwed up my life with so many bad decisions over and over again, and the reality is probably 95% of the people I've ever had relationships with are no longer in my life. But thank God for the 5% who will look at me and say, you're an idiot. You screwed up. There's no justifying what you did. But I'm accountable for you, and I'm going to get you through this. We're going to try to get your head back on straight. I'm not giving up on you. If God can love them, we ought to love them. Because God knows when we're screwing up, we want people to love us. Want to know what love is? You accept people out there. i got to get up. Hey, 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 hey. Last, he acted on his love. He acted on his love. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine. Then he put a man on his donkey, brought him, and he took him in. The next day he took Denier, I gave it to the innkeeper, look after him. He said, when I return, I'll reimburse you for the extra smith you have. <laughs> Talk is cheap. 
It's easy to talk about loving people. It's catchy to talk about loving people. It gets lots of likes on social media to talk about loving people. But we live in a day and time where all anybody ever wants to do anymore is talk about it. I saw a thing the other day, and it was a legit need for somebody going through a hard time. And listen, this blew my mind. It had been shared 1,300 times on Facebook. So I clicked on it. Boop! And nine people had donated to it. It's easy to hit share. It's easy to talk about the need. If everybody who shared our gift can't the bird come up, I guarantee you that will be shared 2,500 times over six weeks. If those 2,500 shares actually went out and bought one can of food for 99 freaking cents, we'd have 500 families get fed that day. But we want to talk about it. We want to share it. We don't want to put it into action. The church, that we are action church because we said, when we were naming this place, talk is cheap. We never want to be known for what we talk about. We want to be known for what we do. He knew that just going and seeing the guy wasn't enough. He knew accepting the guy wasn't enough. Look what he did. He went to the dude. He bandaged the dude. He put him on his donkey. He took him to the hotel. He left the guy enough money to take care of him. And he told him, if it wasn't enough, I'll come back and do it more. Love. God, I'm going to mess this up because I, I, I'm not good at it. Is it called an action, action verb when you're doing something? Love is an action verb. <laughs> Love. Is that right? Love's a verb? Yeah, okay. Love, delete that part, write it, no out of the podcast. (laughs) Love is a verb. You can't love without action. It's impossible. You know that every time me and her get off kilter, it's because I quit working at it. I quit putting my love into action. I take it for granted. I coast. And I always get in a mess. And I got to work hard. And I'm trying to get to that point where I'm learning to always be working at it. It's kind of like we do that with our cars. If we took care of our cars all the time, they'd run forever. We wait till they're broke to, to take care of them. Love's a verb. You've got to put it into action. It's one thing to talk about love. It's another thing to act on that love. Jesus, how do we truly love? He laid it out for us. Right there in the Good Samaritan. You've got to see people as people. you got to accept those people. And you got to act on that love. I, I, I want to tell you something here. And, and i got to get done, I know. I've never been that pastor ever at this church. I was in my past. That got up every week and was rah, rah, rah. Man, God's doing something amazing here and we're fixing to change the community and you can feel the spirit. I've actually been the opposite here. I've, I've got on this stage and said, hey, We're about three weeks from closing our doors. I've got on this stage and said, man, things are not good here. I've got on this stage a couple years ago and said, man, God's not within a thousand miles of this place right now. But I want to tell you something right now. I I said this to my wife yesterday, and she affirmed it back to me. I don't even know if she remembers it. It blew my mind. Because Christine, I always, (laughs) I don't know if you're like this in your marriage. Like, one of us is always clicking, and the other one's not clicking. And then the other one's clicking, and this one's not clicking. And we're like, man, if we get every click at the same time, I said, man, 
I feel like God's getting ready to do something big. And she said, me too. I'm telling you God's getting ready to do something big here. We had to go through a pruning process here. And you've got to prune things sometimes for it to be healthy. And I'm telling you, the spirit in this place right now, the balance in this place between new believers and mature believers is incredible. And the diversity in here is amazing. And I'm telling you something. God is preparing to do something amazing here. That's not preacher talk. I believe it with everything that is in me. I'm going to close this story, and I'm going to story I share all the time, but here's what I want to tell you. You've heard me tell the story about eating at my granny's. Almost every Sunday growing up, we ate at granny's. Fried chicken. Granny always made two meats, fried chicken and something else. Always fried chicken. Cathead biscuits. Homemade mashed taters. I'm talking about macaroni and cheese. You could barely get the spoon through it. It was so creamy. I'm talking about green beans, Christine, the way they're supposed to be made with bacon in them. <laughs> Not that healthy crap olive oil. I'm talking about my granny could take vegetables and make them unhealthy. And I love to eat at granny's. But you know what I love the best about granny's? Granny didn't let you clean your plate table off. She did. That's just what she did. That's how she, so she'd come around and take everybody's plate. And she'd always say, hold your fork. Pick up your fork, son. I'm going to take your plate. You know what she meant when she said, hold your fork? She knew dessert was coming. <laughs> Something great was coming. And my granny, boy, she could make some cake. She made this, I don't know what you call poke cake or something, and you poke holes in it and pour hot fudge over it. Jesus Christ, it was amazing. <laughs> and then she made a seven-layer chocolate cake, which only had six layers, so I was always confused about it. But she says because she lost one of her pans and she wasn't going to change the name. And then my granny made a lemon meringue cake. Like, uh, and she made these brown. You never knew what granny was going to bring out for dessert. But it was going to take dinner to the whole nother level. But you had to hold your fork. I'm telling you, if this church can embrace what it means to love people, hold your fork. 